<laughs> We're out of time. <laughs> it sounds like he's about to approach a newborn puppy. Hello. <laughs> oh, chance to be a fine thing. All right. Three. Three, two... Hello! Hello! You're listening to Track by Track with me, Dan. And me, Will. This is the podcast where we take a great pop music album and break it down track by track. And we hope you just can't get enough because on the turntable this week, we've got Depeche Mode with Speak and Spell. Uh, it's so lovely to be talking about Depeche Mode for the first time on Track by Track, isn't it, Dan? Well, even Which nicer. is what I said <laughs> the first time we did talk about them. <laughs> I can't work out if you did that on purpose or not. I think what what happened was halfway through talking, I remembered. Um, do you know what we've just we've just done? How many episodes now? Two over two hundred episodes. Yeah. So for some of our big acts, it's hard to keep track. Mm. Track by track. Mm. If you like. But yes, of course. Well, it's the second time because we did Violator last year. I think we did thirty years of Violator, didn't we? Uh, and it was a great episode. Really enjoyed it. It was a very violating experience. Mm, your favourite kind. Absolutely. And we're back today uh, talking about Depeche Mode. This time, we've gone right back to the beginning. Yes, this is Depeche Mode's debut album. And before you ask, Will, or before you ask for the first, second or third time, <laughs> we are celebrating it this week because this week marks 40 years since the release of Just Can't Get Enough. Uh, and that's well and truly logged in my memory bank, so I'm not going to forget it within the next 10 minutes. What else is logged in that memory bank? Actually, no, I don't want to know. Uh, I'll tell you if you like. I can imagine one of those things might be uh, the title of track nine, but uh, we'll we'll get to that when we get to <laughs> you it. You have been going on about, uh, ever since we started preparing for this episode, Dan keeps texting me to say, I can't wait to hear what you say about track nine. Uh, and then every I other can't. day it's like, oh, track nine, track nine. And if you know this album, you know track nine. Uh, you know the yeah. name of track nine. And you also know, uh, if you listen to Track by Track regularly, uh, where our minds frequently go. Mm. And the, gu- uh, the no gutter. Apologies. The gutter. The gutter. With the gutter press, the gutter podcasters. Uh, and good for gutter us, slots. actually. Uh, mm. Well, I wouldn't go that far. What standards? Oh, you have. I had, I don't know. <laughs> No, you're very, you're very happy with a very lovely partner. Oh, well, that's quite nice. Everything okay at home? Yeah, just in a good mood today. Uh, but I, I know after twenty minutes recording with you, I'm going to be absolutely furious. Fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, and I had to be nice about your partner because I know he listens. He's a big fan, number one fan, actually. Oh, and quite right too, actually. Mm. yours can't stand it can he absolutely hates this podcast uh no he doesn't like uh all of the innuendos well it's very rare isn't it just Uh, very occasionally we'll slip something in no i think he says we do like to ram it down our listeners throats a chant to be a fine thing that's one of the benefits on patreon (laughs) 
<laughs> That's right. That good link, Dan, as well. Um, I mean, this episode is uh, one of the bi-weekly episodes that's available to everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. But does bi-weekly mean every other week or twice a week? Uh, it means both. The English language. Mm. Queer thing. Mm. So, yeah, this one is for everyone today. Uh, but we do uh, next week. Next week's episode is uh, for our Patreon subscribers. Uh, if you join us and support us uh, next week, they will be listening to... A week-long celebration of episodes, Will, to mark our third birthday. And we've already announced it on the socials. But let's just remind everyone, here and now... Here and uh, now, now... What we will be, be celebrating. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we were going into it. So, as always, we like to celebrate an anniversary with Pet Shop Boys. So, on Saturday, on the 11th, on our official birthday, we will be doing uh, Bilingual. Bilingual? Bilingual. The next day, we're celebrating 10 years of Coldplay's Paradise and doing Milo's Aloto. The next day, we're doing What Will the Neighbours Say uh, by Girls Aloud to celebrate 17 years of Love Machine. The next day, we're doing Tom Aspel's Black Country Disco because it's one year since the release. The next day, we're doing Scissor Sisters, Tada to mark 15 years since that was released. The next day, we're doing St. Etienne's Fox Bass Alpha to mark 30 years of that. And the day after that, we're doing Artful Dodgers. It's all about the stragglers to mark 20 years of that. Now, I will make it very clear, Will. Regular listeners, casual listeners, freeloading listeners, they will get the official birthday episode, Pet Shop Boys Bilingual. And uh, on next Tuesday, they will get Tom Aspel's Black Country Disco. Patreons get an extra five episodes. So we're talking about Depeche Mode today. Uh, Electronic group our favorites uh they were formed back in 1980 which was the year that i was born so um the fact that um we're celebrating 40 years today uh it's very nice Mm. dan who are the members or who were the members when this uh album was released so yeah this album is the sole depeche mode album with this lineup and you have vince clark the legendary synth pop pioneer um and this is his only album with Depeche Mode as well as uh, fans will know also in there Andy Fletcher Dave Gahan and Martin Gore who of course are still the three members of Depeche Mode Vince Clark that name sounds familiar did he ever go on to do anything else no he left the band and then just disappeared into thin air mm. well uh, you know, aside from the work with Yazoo, uh, with Alison Moyer and with Erasure, uh, with Andy Bell and with, you know, all the remixing stuff as well. And the side projects uh, with members of Depeche Mode. Apart from all that, Will, absolutely nothing from him. Uh, do you know what? Since we, we mentioned Alison Moyer, didn't we, uh, when we were talking about the Lightning Seeds? And ever since then, I can't stop thinking about doing an album of hers, doing a Yazoo album, because I just think... I just, I think, I just love her. Sorry. I, I just have I to say love, it. I'd love to get pissed with Alison Moyet. Mm. I would come out to her. Again? Not again. <laughs> I've, no, I've done it once. So I, I made that as dramatic as I possibly could, but uh, not again. You mentioned it once, you think you got away with it. <laughs> it's not Narnia. I'm not going back in. Uh, well, you do look a bit like Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> That's probably more to do with the lower half of your body. But furry. Uh, so we are talking about Speaking Spell today, the debut album. And Dan, please tell us, why are we talking about it? 
cold, hard glare. Listen, that's what <laughs> you would be able to see right now if you were with us. I'm joking, of course. This time. Is he? Is he? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, this is some glorious electronic 80s in action. So I think we shouldn't waste any more time. And I think we just need to get stuck in, Dan. Let's do it. So, side one, track one, this is New Life. there this is the first track on the album and oh my god it's the joy and probably not the last time we're going to say this in a manner of ways the joy is in the simplicity of this music of the of the electronics of the vocal of the melody of the lyrics it's just wonderful isn't it Yes, definitely. I love what you said. There is a real simplicity to this one. And this is obviously the sound of a band finding themselves, I suppose. This is very different to even the next album from Depeche Mode. Uh, Of course, that didn't have Vince Clark, who, let me just put it out there, Will, Vince Clark wrote the vast majority of the songs on this album. Only a couple of exceptions, which I will point out. Um, and I think he took the sound with him, didn't he? When, he, when you think of Yazoo, when you think of Erasure, it sounds a lot like the songs on here. Um, but it's great. love this early Depeche Mode. These synth loops, these drum patterns. It's very for the dance floor of 1981 as well, isn't it? It is. You could just imagine, you know, at the disco in the 1980s, kind of an underground, sweaty underground place with like cans of lager and moustached men smoking cigarettes you can imagine everybody kind of dancing to this while the sweat literally drips off the walls heaven not heaven london but my idea of a bit more behind closed doors i'd imagine and when i think of people dancing in the 80s i can't help but think about people dancing on top of the pops some of that lovely awkward dancing uh, as the band plays and actually this song was their first Top of the Pops appearance, um, and they actually went back twice more to perform the same track. Those were the days. Well, this is when there was real longevity in the charts. Tracks used to climb quite frequently and stay in the top 10 and the top 20. And I can remember, I mean, I can't remember this with Depeche Mode because I was very young uh, and you weren't even born. But I can remember other acts that had long-lasting hit singles. I can remember the times when they would revisit top of the pops and and do another performance so this was their second single uh, and was released in june of 81 uh, and it did really well got to number 11 uh in the singles charts who wrote it dan already said it uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh it's, uh, i will it was... miss i will miss winding you up when what's happening we've got an announcement to make no, 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 just eventually. He's going solo, miss- listeners. He's going solo. <laughs> it's just Doing a Jerry. Track. <laughs> we can have a track each. Yes, and talking, uh, as you said, Will, about the long- longevity uh, of singles at this time, it actually took nine weeks 
for the track to climb up to number 11. It entered the charts at number 55. And when it did reach number 11, just outside the top 10 as well, I bet they were a little bit gutted about that. Uh, but when it did, number one was Shaken Stevens with Green Door. Uh, he was a fan of Doors, wasn't he? And I know um, he had a green door, but his back door was brown. Really? Mm. I mean, how do you actually know? Did you, have you been around and knocked on his back door? Is that how you know that? Um, I think he used to like to show it off on social media. What, back in the 80s? <laughs> what, on CFAX? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there is a great B-side to this as well called Shout. Yes. And they really mean it because there's an exclamation mark at the end. Oh, I like, yeah, important. But just going back to the chart, the rise up through the charts, I'd imagine part of that, I mean, is a big part of that is airplay on the radio, but also I'd imagine it being played in the pubs and clubs uh, as another reason why. Yep, and the nightclubs. Oh, 80s nightclubs with neon lights. I mean, obviously that's our aesthetic and that's our, if we're being honest, one of, you know, potentially our favourite era of music if i had a time machine will i would go back to the 80s where would you go i'd go back to the 90s would you mm. but you've lived that it was so good you want to do it again it was a different time <laughs> um no but to go back now as me now and go back to the 90s and really enjoy culture and music and uh all that sort of stuff i'd love to go to like glastonbury and ibiza when it oh, was really God you know, the place to be. And it was just exploding with popularity there. Mm. Um, but Dan, I'd love us to go back in your time machine and go for a night out in the 80s. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Uh, we could we could go and knock for Alison Moyer and take her out with us, actually. And French and Saunders. <laughs> oh, and all the lads in the band, Vince included. Oh, and Neil and Chris. Oh, they've, yeah. They've got to come. Even if it's just to hear their uh, uh, acidic wit and put-downs of people they see, I'd love that. I'd love for someone to describe us like that. One day. <laughs> Should we move on to track two? Yes. Okay, Dan, what is it? Something you've said to me during recording many, many times. I sometimes wish I was dead. by surprise how short that track is it's only two minutes 16 uh, and you are going to crucify me for this but when this track started i was immediately transported back to fast food rockers well that's one of the worst things you've ever said about one of our favorite bands i think ever uh, and i only say it because i know uh it really uh twiddles your knobs so uh there we are but track two just as good as track one. Uh, and also, I love the fact that this track is called I Sometimes Wish I Was Dead uh, and is followed through in the lyrics, but it's a very uh, happy-go-lucky melody uh, and uh, instrumentalism to it. Yeah, definitely. It's so peppy and poppy and a million miles away from what they're doing now or what they were doing even a few years after this. 
But it's interesting that actually you'd well imagine them having a song called I Sometimes Wish I Was Dead on, on an album nowadays. Uh, and it wouldn't sound anything like this, I don't think. And I think what's what's quite obvious throughout this album is that, like a lot of bands at the time in the early 80s, they're influenced by craft work. And I think you can really hear it, but it is actually so much poppier than anything craft work ever did or probably ever have uh, or, or ever will do. Um but it's definitely in there. I can really hear those Kraftwerk influences. And I think we'll probably say that again today. And just the kind of dancey element. I think, you know, we talked about dancing in a club. I could just imagine, and my shoulders started going as well, actually. I was almost doing that awkward Top of the Pops dance. And actually, I did do it the time that I went to see Top of the Pops. What? I don't think we've ever even off air talked about this before no. what have you been on top of the pops i've been to see top of the pops yeah oh my god when it must have been to it well i'll tell you when it was because girls and i were there and they performed long hot summer so it was whatever year that was something like 2006 2005 2006 yeah something like that and Girls and I were there, McFly were there as well, and I can't remember who else was there, but it was a BBC TV centre, and we had to stand up for bloody hours. Oh, trust you to moan about what is a once-in-a-lifetime experience I wish I'd had. It was it was great. It was lovely. It was a great experience, and I'm so glad I got to go to Top of the Pops before it stopped being a thing. Well, I had tickets to go to one of the Christmas specials about six or seven years ago, and the trains were cancelled on the day, so I couldn't get there. I was absolutely livid. Did you cry? I was close to crying, but I had one of those wonderful nights out before where I'd woken up still drunk. So there's a bit of a had a bit of a, a glow or a bit of a shine that um you know helped help with the situation. But I sometimes wish I was dead. A real great groove to this one. I love how you've got the bass there. But actually, there's no bass player in the band. You've got the drums there. There's no drummer in the band either. Um, they, Of course, they've got a guitarist in Martin, but you don't really hear him on this. And I love that they were kind of at the forefront of an actual band, but filled with synths and, you know, drum machines and things like that and fewer traditional instruments. Uh, it's the machines. Blame the machines. Mm, no. To quote another favourite... Uh... Electronic band from the 80s, 90s, and now. Track number three now, and I'm very much looking forward to the conversation we're going to have after this track. Puppets. Puppets there. Before we talk about the track, Dan, what's your favourite ever puppet? Oh, can I have two, please? Yeah. Um, Rosie and Jim. Ah. I used to love those two on that old tugboat. So you know, you do, you know the puppets. So you know there was a man inside Rosie and Jim. What? So would he put his 
Well, best not to think about it too much. Would he put his hands up, Rosie, to make a lips move? (laughs) (laughs) Poor Rosie love. (laughs) Will, how about you? Uh, Well, I'm torn between uh, Zig and Zag from The Big Breakfast. uh, But Mm. also, I used to love uh, the sheep and the dog from the Woolworths adverts. And... You have them, don't you? And I've got them there. They're upstairs in the eaves at the moment. Uh, just They're having a hibernation. And one day, one of your ancestors, I think, will take them on Antiques Roadshow. I think they will be worth a few bob um, in the future because they were uh, quite short-lived. But they were great cat, great pair, weren't they? Advertising Woolworths, obviously. Yeah. Happier times. Mm. Oh, their pick-and-mix selection. You had the lot, didn't you? Oh, I used to really overstuff my bag with flumps, white mice, jelly tots, jelly babies. We had all sorts of wrapped sweets as well in those foils, all sorts of different flavoured fudges and sort of oh, coconut truffles. Chunky fudge. <laughs> and I know, like a plummy... Um... <laughs> But probably jam. <laughs> About the breakfast buffet. <laughs> so, Dan, what do you think of the track? I love this song. I have to say, even though I've said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to contradict myself, Will, which I'm, I'm sure you'll be pleased about. This album is more poppier, it's more peppier. But this song does immediately feel a little bit more downbeat uh, in the music and in the lyrics as well. They're a little bit more... Uh, moody, uh, so I could I could well imagine this appearing in the set list somewhere. I don't know if it has or hasn't recently. How about you? What do you think of this one? I like it. It's the first of the three tracks so far where I just think, oh, it's a really good track to be on the album. I think I'm a big fan of the chorus, um, and 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 again that just wonderful production, a wonderful simplicity to it. But it's not one of my favourites on the album, and that's fair enough. Uh, interestingly, Will, the working title of this song was Operator. And when the tour in the early days before the album came out, they would introduce it as Operator, which makes sense because Operator features in the lyrics, whereas Puppets doesn't. Yeah, but it's all about power and control, isn't it? So track number four now, Boys Say Go. There's an exclamation mark at the end. So, boys say go there, which is what happens to you, Dan, when you walk down the steps of heaven, the nightclub, and arrive in the main room. They say go? Yeah. That's so sad. Too old. <laughs> Do you know what? We are uh, some, we're planning a trip there with some friends soon. I say we will. You're not invited. It's uh, me and some friends. Oh, really? Um, oh, <laughs> you go. Um, and there is a little part of me that thinks, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I just look like a pensioner walking in there. Who are you going to heaven, heaven with? Well, I'll take that offline. I don't want to name any names on, on air. Just the, the lads. So there's, there is something, Dan, very masculine, but very camp about this song. 
and it wouldn't be out of place on an album by like Bronsky Beat or Communards. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, definitely will. And I do believe that uh, during their early tours, Depeche Mode gained a bit of a cult following from uh, underground clubs they were playing, but a lot of them being gay clubs as well. So there are some thoughts amongst the fans that this track and maybe some of the others on the album were actually aimed at their gay audience. I think so, because, you know, there's a lot of chanting. It's very danceable again as well. It's talking about boys and boys. It's like one of our phone co- phone conversations. <laughs> We're just laid on our front in our beds, kicking our heels in the air, twirling the phone line. Flicking through just 17. Oh. Or just just 41. <laughs> just. <laughs> it actually reminds me of this one, Will, a little bit of some of the early uh, Spandau Ballet, some of the really like, some, some of the first album stuff. And I'm not sure what the Depeche Mode lads would make of that comment. I don't think, they probably wouldn't like like it. Mm. But I'm, I've said it and I and I, I do mean, I think it's the chant, of course you've got chant number one, I don't need this pressure on. Um, it's one of the earlier, more beat uh, Spandau Ballet songs. But yeah, there's just something... Something, something about it. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorites, actually, on the album. That said, I thought you'd like it. It's quite. It's very immediate, isn't it? Mm. Quite jittery with the music. Again, it sounds like it's made for the dance floor. And actually, I think this could have been a single. If I'm being quite honest. Oh, definitely. I'm. In fact, I'm surprised it wasn't. And then there's just great layering of the synths. It's one of those songs where. As the track builds and builds, the synths and the layers build and build. And then during the outro, it almost, well, like a lot of songs on here, it's quite vintage video game-like, isn't it? Mm. There's some some tracks on here that we'll come to that they feel like they've been pulled straight from a, a video game soundtrack. So let's move on. Track number five now, and this is Nordisco. I say No disco there. Uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because they're saying this ain't no disco, but actually it's one of the danciest songs possible, the catchiest songs possible on, on this record. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's about a girl dancing at, at the discotheque, but it's weird that they're calling it a no disco, aren't they? And I wonder if it's the fact that you can imagine the song at a discotheque um, and a no, a no disco must be a disco but without the disco groove almost because it's a danceable song but it doesn't it doesn't feel like whereas like Duran Duran were heavily influenced by Chic and we'll talk about that a lot Kraftwerk I don't think have that influence and I don't think that it's, it hasn't got the classic 70s disco sound in this has it or, or am I completely wrong? No I think it's not the 70s disco sound but it's more like the 80s disco sound and by that it's Vince isn't it because he crafted a lot of that with mm. this first Depeche Mode album, with Yuzu, with Erasure, like that's he's 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 fingerprints are all over it. Synth disco and yeah, eighties 
into the 90s since Disco, he's, yeah, he wrote the book. And I think it's a wonderful kind of crossover between the pubs and clubs and the charts and pop music, you know, the kind of smash hits world of pop music, but also the same sort of music that would be played in underground clubs with with men with no windows. Well, as opposed to men with windows. <laughs> we were on about back doors earlier, but what, what's a window? I'm not sure about that euphemism. No, it's not, it's not a gay thing. It's what I just mean. Clubs back in the early 80s when this came out, gay clubs uh, and bars back in the early 80s when this, this came out, used to be very much away and downstairs mm. and in basements and not... Just off your just off your high street with all bells and whistles now. Um, a bit too much for my liking, actually. <laughs> but I'd love to have been around to explore that sort of culture. Also, Dan, No Disco is an is an artist that we've also featured on a previous new music drop. Do you know what? I've, as soon as you said No Disco, I, I knew what you were going to say. But when I was writing my notes for the episode, I did think, why does that ring a bell? Has someone covered it? Is there another song called that? Of course, it's the artist, no disco. And I wonder if he got his name because he was such a huge fan of Depeche Mode, particularly their earlier work. Who knows? It's quite probable. Wouldn't, wouldn't be at all surprised. So track number six now. And Will? What? What's your name? your name there what a fun song <laughs> absolutely uh, very i almost want to say this song is fluffy which is quite strange for an electro pop track but it's very very light i mm, i think well first of all let me say will i know that uh martin and andy from the band have said that this is their least favorite Depeche Mode song of all time and i think it's not hard to see why. I think this just sticks out like a sore thumb to me. It does, because it is kind of quite bubblegum, isn't it, in some ways? I almost feel like this is to them what I found heaven was to take that. It, you know, it felt like maybe it could be a chart hit, you know, maybe even though it wasn't a single, but it just feels like it wasn't true to them. It is, though, Will, and it'll be no surprise, Thought to be another one aimed at their gay fan base. <laughs> Definitely not a surprise, considering <laughs> one of the very repetitive lyrics is... Hey, you're such a pretty boy. Yeah. I thought it might have been about a parrot. <laughs> and you're into parrot. Well, I heard you're into parrots. Um, because someone said you like a cockatoo. <laughs> We've done that one already, Will. Oh, I know, but it always gets a laugh. From me. And me. I have to say, Will, I was expecting you to open up this track with what a great time to talk about dot, dot, dot. No, not at all. I was bopping away. Mm. So, shall we flip over the record for track seven or side two, track one, 
and this is photographic. Photographic there, which is track seven, and this is a brilliant mid-album pounder. There's a real urgency to this, isn't there? Yeah, that it's much beefier in the beat and the bass. And yeah, you know, I wasn't a massive fan of What's Your Name, but I love this song. And what is it for you that really gets you going with this track? I think just musically, compared to the last song, musically, there's a lot more to it. Um, there's more layers, there's more different sounds it, it's got more atmosphere to it um and then you've got that chorus it's so simple it literally just i take pictures photographic pictures and then later on bright light dark room this one actually in terms of the lyrics or, or should i say lyrically lyrically it's very craft work i think uh, and there's a real um pounding beat going i think so far you could play this album non-stop uh, and be dan- and be up and dancing the whole way through. Yeah, they haven't gone for the big piano ballad yet, have they? And I don't think they're going to. And if we were recording this together, um, because uh, we, we're still not at the moment after a brief reprise, and you can mm. tell because of the sound quality, um, <laughs> we'd be we'd be bopping around, wouldn't we? Together, we uh, absolutely would be. Yeah. And this one uh, was actually the band's recording and release debut because an earlier version of this appeared on a some bizarre compilation which was much fuzzier uh, much more raw sounding and you know those lyrics they can be a little bit creepy and i think actually they worked even better on that version uh track number eight now and this is torah 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 So Tora 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 there, I'm going to stick my neck out, Dan, and say this is one of the tracks that sounds the most like how Depeche Mode would go on to be and to evolve to be. Quite right, Will. And a big part of that will be that this is one of the two tracks written by Martin Gore, who, of course, would go on to become the chief songwriter. So what what ears you have, Will? What great big ears you have? Uh, less of the great big, thank you very much. Sorry. I'm not Dumbo. <laughs> and Dan, you said to me, oh, you love this song when it started. What is it for you you love about it? Well, a couple of things, really. I think it's just, I mean, you could say this about a lot of the tracks on here, but this one stands out for me. There's just great synth pop sounds in here. One minute, it feels like it's the score to a computer game. And then the next, you're belting out that chorus of Torah, Torah, Torah. But also, I think lyrically lyrically oh i've done it twice actually this episode um 
no, there's, double there's, word score. Mm, there's there's real emotion attached because Torah means tiger in Japanese, and Torah 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 was the code signal uh, for the Japanese bombers at Pearl Harbor. So lyrics in this talking about from the skies you can almost hear them cry. This is a bit of a history lesson, really. Uh, the song, not me blurting all this out. Um, but I think just that fusion of 80s electro pop sounds and this true story, it just works. It just, it's just, it's what Depeche Mode do really well. And it almost sounds like what you would hear in the synth wave genre of music as well. Which we talk about a lot. Very, very frequently. Very, very, very. Track number nine now. And Dan, I heard that this song was written by the band, um, uh, inspired by your mum. <laughs> That's absolutely outrageous. <laughs> Big Muff. <laughs> Did you enjoy that big muff? I have to say, Will, I was quite surprised by how much I did enjoy it. It was uh, quite overwhelming, actually, um, but but enjoyable nonetheless. This is, I think it's what you've been talking about earlier, where you've got some wonderful synth wave in there, but also it sounds like the soundtrack to a computer game. Yep, and it sounds a bit craftworky again. It's just... It, at one point, actually, there's a, there's a sound in there uh, that sounds like Pac-Man when he's guzzling down on whatever he guzzles down on. What are they? Ghosts? Ghoulies. 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 Guzzling down on guzzling ghoulies. Guzzling down on ghoulies. Yeah. But there is that in there. And actually, not to harp on about it again, Will, because I was thinking about the last song, but I didn't want to say it at the time. But I'm really hearing these Spandau or early Spandau influences and I'm not, um, you know, they were both out around the same time, both released the debut albums in the same year. So there's no insinuation of any copycats. Um, but obviously it was the sound of the time. It was a, it was a different time. Different time. I think it's a wonderful sound of the time, personally. And Will, this is an instrumental. How do you feel about that? I, I think in, in the mix of an album in its entirety, there's definitely room for an instrumental, particularly when the production uh, and the electronics of, of the album are, are of this quality. Simplicity and quality. That's the track by track. Eminence. Guarantee. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, just one of those things. And Will, this was the second and final track written by Martin. Next one then to track 10. Any second now. Voices. She is hoping to forget And the moment almost slips away When the colours move apart And I wonder if you want to stay And I need to change you Like the words I'm reading Don't you understand? 
So any second now there, uh, Dan, hmm? Alison Moyet could sing this. She really could. And actually, this, of course, is the only track that's not Dave singing. It's Martin singing. And you said that while the song was playing, that Alison could sing it. And actually, I think there's some similarities in their voices. But I just mean it's very much like a Yuzu track. Yeah. And even, yeah, actually, yeah, even though this is Martin singing, it's written by Vince. And yeah, I can completely hear in my head Alison on vocals on this. In fact, I wonder if, you know, you got to wonder when, where, why it happened that, you know, after this first album, Vince left and created Yuzu with Alison. Was it because he wrote songs like this that he thought actually they sound better with her? Did they know each other already? So much speculation in my head, Will. Maybe I should do some research. <laughs> you definitely should. Uh, and to be honest, I don't care whether it was Depeche Mode or Yazoo. I'm just glad it's out there because it's just a great, another great piece of music. This album is so good, Dan. It is good. And a few weeks ago, we spoke about, I forget who we were talking about now. I think we were doing a debut album. And I said something along the lines of, quite often with a band, I don't go back to the debut or the earlier albums because I like what they're doing nowadays. And I think I gave Depeche Mode as an example. And I don't listen to this album a lot or I haven't listened to this album a lot. But over the last few weeks, I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to this. I've been rinsing it this week, honestly, and I haven't listened to it for years before. Uh, not, not because I've avoided it, just because there's a lot of music out there to listen to. There is a lot out there. More and more. But this one, it's another little thing. It's just two and a half minutes. And an instrumental version of this was the B-side to Just Can't Get Enough. Speaking of which... That brings us nice under track 11, and this is a cover of the Saturdays charity comic relief single. Just can't get enough. Just Can't Get Enough there, of course, the original and best version of this. This was the third single they released. It got to number eight in the charts, uh, which was a fantastic hit. Should have been a number one. Uh, and this was the last thing that Vince uh, wrote before leaving the band in the following year. Yeah, well, actually, unless uh, we've got two different stories, well, I think it was the same year. I think this was released in the September and he left in the November as it was climbing up the charts. I, I really, again, need to do my research, but what, what, why, why Vince? I think he probably had the same approach um, as you do, which is uh, get out when you're on top. <laughs> Pull out when you're on top. <laughs> <laughs> now this is such, I mean, it's probably one of Depeche Mode's biggest songs. It's timeless. And you could play this not just at a wedding reception or a christening or a funeral. Well, maybe not a funeral, actually. A bit much. But <laughs> a bit too light. Uh, but you could play this out in a pub or a club now and it would just fill the dance floor. Definitely. It's just an all-time... Not only one of their biggest hits. And I find that quite interesting as well because if you think about some of their other biggest ever hits, 
what like enjoy the silence personal jesus of course a, a very different sound to this but i think on top of that it's just an all-time 80s classic as well it's got to be one of the top 10 most known most loved 80s songs right yeah in one of those double cd sets oh, you've got yeah. in your glove box absolute ultimate 80s and we used to have the fantastic like 80s discs which had a rubik's cube on the front that's exactly the one I was thinking of, actually, Dan. Oh, well done. Yeah. Thank you. Patronising. Uh, this also was a big hit in the US as well, and it was the first song they released over there. Lovely. And you talked about this reaching number eight, Will. What I found really interesting when I was looking at the chart stats, me and Rob Copsey had a little get-together again this week. Um, this one entered the charts at number 44 and then took five weeks to climb to number eight, which of course was the thing at the time. But when this entered the charts at number 44, it was actually the second highest new entry that week. And the highest new entry that week was at number 33, which was uh, Star Sounds, Stars on 45, Volume 3. But that was kind of the thing back then, wasn't it? You wouldn't have, like nowadays, you'll have 10, 12 new entries in the top 40, more maybe. It was just, that was very normal. There'd be more new entries than a uh, than a than a than a uh, well, yes. Uh, also, Dan, I, I know I made light of it earlier, but when the Sat the Saturdays did cover this for a very good course for comic relief, and it got to number two. Oh, and am I right in thinking Vince Clark remixed? Was it this track, or did he remix another one of their tracks? I think it was one another one of their tracks. But also another one of their tracks sampled Yazoo, didn't it? Uh, yes. Uh... Don't go. No, it wasn't <laughs> that one, was it? <laughs> what was it? Uh, if this ain't love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Will, if you had bought the album, this album, not Saturday's Chasing Lights... <laughs> If you had bought Speak and Spell on release day, this would have been the last track on the album. But we couldn't not talk about the next song, which did appear on later versions. Does anybody want any more? <laughs> no, no, I think they've had quite enough of that. <laughs> so track 12 is Dreaming of Me. Dreaming of Me there, which is the last track on the album. And it's uh, although obviously modified since the original release, this is a really nice ending. Yeah, I think, I do think this is a better ending than Just Can't Get Enough. And I love the lyrics of this song. I think I've, I've read lots of things online about how Vince Clark would actually play down his lyric writing and he'd sort of make up that it was just... Um, pretentious stuff to go with the music but actually i really like the lyrics of this song and Quite poetic i think you're right because like just can't get enough is almost too much of a banger to go out on as the last track you need to bring it down a little bit because there is a bit is a lovely bit of melancholy running through this 
Yeah. And Dan, just to mention, Dreaming of Me was the first single that they released, actually. So the album kind of goes full circle. And actually, the last two tracks on the albums are two of the singles. And how rare is that for two singles to be the last two tracks on the album? So rare, yeah. And But just so weird as well to leave it off. I, you know, I get a lot of artists do that. I think New Order did that with their debut singles and many more, I'm sure. But um, yeah, what a strange decision. As a first release, this got to number 57 in the charts. But obviously the start of their growing exposure and popularity. There's also a very good B-side to this track. But we'll come on to that. Hmm. And... This one will, when this song was released, number one was Shaking Stevens with This Old House. Oh, Shaky again. Hell. This old house with his different coloured doors and no windows. Was that him? No, that was, that was something else. Someone else. <laughs> but he did have more chart entries in the 80s than any other artist. And this is the first time we've ever spoken about him, I think. And the And the last. And the last. Um, also, just because I'm quite fascinated now by new entries in the charts at this time, when this entered at number 75, the second highest new entry that week was Public Image Limited, who entered at number 50. So in the top 40 that week, there were no new entries. It really was a different time. Mm. And, Will, I can't... I should have said this at the start, but I've left it right to the end. This song and this whole album was produced by the band, as well as Daniel Miller, who was the founder of Mute Records, who Depeche Mode are part of the Mute Records family, but they are also home to some of our favourites, including Goldfrap, Erasure, and New Order. Hello, everyone. Hi, all. (laughs) Must catch up soon. And just a word on the album performance and reception. So let's have a look here. Uh, So it was very positively received. Uh, The New Musical Express, as it was known then, way before your your, uh, Nick's and your Rob Copsey's Dan, um, Paul Morley said this was a generous, silly, electro-tickled pop album and uh, had some fantastic scores from the likes of The Mirror, uh, Rolling Stone, Smash Hits uh, and Uncut. Uh, if I had to give it a rating out of 10, I'd give it 8 out of 10. So it's time for some further listening. But before we do, Will, I can tell you've really enjoyed the album this week. Oh, not shit. Even, I've not for, even mentioned the album. completely <laughs> forgotten and you've not done that for a long time. You must have thoroughly enjoyed it. I have. I really have. Dan, uh, you've been dying to say, dying to pull me up on that, haven't you? But it's not a mistake. I generally have just been enjoying the music so well, much. Well, that's what I love. That's what I love about it. If not, it, there's not even been a hint of a song where you could have mentioned it. If I, I think I said before, there was one that stuck out to me. But um, I love that. Will, I'm, I'm, it's made my day actually. And it's very rare that I just forget to mention it at all. So that's the track by track seal of approval. Or is it, or is it an age thing? No, it's not uh, dementia. So we're on to some, on to some further listening now. So uh... wait, wait, aren't you going to talk about the album artwork? <laughs> <laughs> so we should just give a brief mention to the ostrich in the room. Is it an ostrich? I was going to go for a swan. No. <laughs> it's definitely actually a swan. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen an ostrich before? <laughs> uh, not up close, because they're just quite 
vicious little buggers, actually. So, uh, mm. uh, so the artwork is it's a swan on a nest wrapped in cellophane by the look of it um, against a very uh, mysterious atmospheric red uh, backdrop. What do you think of it, Dan? I like it. It's it's atmospheric. It's intriguing. It's moody. I think for a what were effectively a pop band, I don't know if they'd like that, but I think at the time they were a pop band, I think for them to not be on the album was quite strange, wasn't it? Yes. And Fontwatch uh, is quite a nice, just quite a relaxed font, isn't it? Which does, again, speak to a much more accessible album, um, which, which, which is what it is. Mm. And the shot, Will, was by Brian Griffin, not the dog from Family Guy, um, and he also you don't like cartoons, do you? Yeah. We've said this thousands of times. You're not a fan. Uh, he photographs lots of icons in the eighties, including Ringo Starr, Iggy Pop, uh, Elvis Costello. But he also did the photo for A Broken Frame, the next album from Depeche Mode, which is often cited as one of the best color photographs ever shot. Well, I don't know about that, Dan. You should look through my camera roll. No, don't look through my camera roll. No, thank you very much at all. (laughs) So, uh, further listening time now. Finally, we're there. Uh, Unless I've forgotten anything else, Dan? No, you've not forgotten anything at all, Will. But just to say, I'd love to go first this week. Oh, very forward. Okay, off you go. So, from me, this one is Ice Machine. So Ice Machine there. This one was the B-side to the debut single, Dreaming of Me. And I really love that. While Dreaming of Me, I think, definitely sounds like a debut single. I think with this song, there's already a little bit more moodiness to it. There's there's something about the melody that I think is really intriguing. Um, I'm a big fan of this song. And I'll be honest, when I first listened to the Speaking Spell album, I listened to the uh, special edition or whatever it is, where this is the next song after Dreaming of Me. And I just assumed it was another album track because I think the quality of it is that good. And do you know what? I, it's just mesmerising the soundscapes in this. And I can imagine being off my head and just getting sucked into a hole oh. of kind of in swirling around in these beats in my head. But a very welcome hole. Always. Always. <laughs> <laughs> And this one was played live. It was played on the Some Great Reward Tour and a live version of it was available on the 12-inch version of the 1984 single Blasphemous Rumours, which I haven't heard before, but I'm going to go and listen to after recording, after you share your further listening choice with us. So thanks, Dan. So uh, I have gone for kind of the old and the new or the old and the more up-to-date. So this is a remix of Puppets, and it's the Roiksop remix of Puppets. Watch your actions, close reaction, and everything you're thinking, babe, inside your head. Come the 
Stop remixing puppets there. I just love the juxtaposition of a track from 1980 remixed by one of the best uh, remixes of our modern age. And they've brought a really nice twist to it, I think, with that sort of clapping beat and those, those kind of grinding uh, synths running through it as well. As you see, very nicely done. Yeah, I absolutely love this remix i think it sounds like it could have been a rooksop song or rooksop featuring dave gahan or depeche mode or whatever it just sounds so current uh, and this of course featured on one of the remixes collections there's so many depeche mode remixes out there aren't there uh, and yeah. this is just one of my favorites of all time this is this was on the remixes 2 collection which covers uh 1981 to 2011 and is available on all good streaming services and some bad ones. We're, We're out, <laughs> out of time. time. So thank you for joining us on this episode of Track by Track. It's been great to talk about Depeche Mode again, because apparently we've done them before, which was good to be reminded of. Memorable. Do let us know what you think at Track by Track UK. And don't forget our third birthday celebrations kick off this weekend. So Everyone will get the chance to enjoy our Pet Shop Boys bilingual episode and our Tom Aspel Black Country Disco episode. But for our patrons, as always, there is more available. And this time, there is a whole week of episodes celebrating iconic artists and some huge anniversaries. I'm very excited, Will. And I'm very scared. Yeah, I think uh, I'd better get an early night in tonight, actually, because uh, we've got a lot of talking to do. Uh, ready for that and we've got a lot of opinions to develop yeah not that we ever need uh, asking twice for our, our opinions uh, so not. do join us uh, again soon on Track by Track join us on Patreon follow us on social media and let us know your thoughts on the album and on the episode at Track by Track UK so until next time I've been Dave Gahan and I've been Rosie and Jim. Goodbye. Goodbye. It really is. And like you said there, there's a simplicity to it. I think this is an Simpli album There's that's... a simplicity to it. <laughs> Did I really say it like that? Yeah. Do you know, someone the other day said to me like, oh yeah, they've got a lisp, but not, not as bad as you, Dan. And I was like, what? I don't, I don't have a lisp, do I? Who said Did that to you? I'd have boxed their ears. That's my other half's mother, actually. Oh, I'd have boxed their ears. Never seen one? No. I mean, everyone knows about a dog's lipstick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>